Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Lynn, BAST advocates for student-led singing lessons. So what does this actually mean? Yeah, so this comes from education, uh, which is focused on um, a particular method of teaching, which is based on student-centred learning. In other words, rather than teacher-led, where they come in and decide what the student needs to learn, where what stage they're at, where, where the next stage is, actually we take into account the needs of the student, their particular learning styles, what their goals and values are, and also, of course, their personality and any other in things that might impact their, their learning. And so we're focusing on teaching, but in a way that is suitable to each individual student that we have in front of us. One of the ways in which we can ensure that we're being student-led is by asking open questions. And in the book, The Coaching Manual, which we reviewed actually quite a while ago now, um, but the author, Julie Starr, explains how great questions are simple, have purpose and influence the direction of thought, but without being controlling. So as coaches, we're often considering open questions. So firstly, what is an open question and what is it compared to a closed one and how are they helpful in remaining student-led? So a closed question is where the answer is either yes or no. Uh, An open question asks how, why, what, where, when, etc. So that in order to answer the question, the answer, answerer, (laughs) that's not the right word, is it? The person being questioned um, has to explain further. So, you know, instead of saying, um, are you okay today? Yes or no. You just say, how do you feel today? And obviously we now elicit a much more, a fuller answer uh, and in order to um, find out more about what the person's thinking, how they're feeling, how they're processing So it's very useful when we're using that kind of questioning in our situation because we don't know what the person's experiencing and sometimes depending on what they're experiencing may actually dictate what our next exercise is or our next focus or direction of the lesson is. When would it be or is it ever appropriate for a coach to be more direct or ask a closed question? That's an interesting question, that one. I would prefer if somebody's not able to explain how they're feeling or what they're thinking or what they're experiencing, I would prefer to ask a question where they can give a grade. So was that better, worse or the same than the time before? Was that better, worse or the same than when you've done it in the past or to what you were expecting? Uh, So then even though it's a little bit more closed in terms of they can say better, worse or the same, uh, we've got a little bit more of a uh, more information to help us understand what's happened uh, in terms of whether it was effective or not effective or if it made no difference. A closed question, you know, obviously there are times when 
a closed question is appropriate. You know, was that painful? No. Uh, yes. But you would need to question further because, you know, when I think about going back to nursing, if someone said they were in pain, it really didn't mean as much as if we could get a grade from them. So from zero to 10, how severe is that pain? Because someone who's experiencing a three or four may not need medication. Someone who's experiencing a nine or 10 might need some other kind of intervention or medication. And so finding a grade in, you know, after that yes, no answer, I feel like there's always a need to expand a little bit further in order to get more information. So there's a strategy that I teach in BEST where you help the student grade from one to five as to how successful they were in achieving whatever the criteria. So it's not a how good am I, how bad am I? It's a did I achieve or not achieve the various criteria that were set out? And so you know, the criteria might be in tune, it might be consistency, it might be full tone, it might be closed vocal folds, might be stable larynx, you know, there's, it doesn't matter what it is, it's whatever the teacher and the student agree will help that student understand um, where things haven't gone well. So that, and there's no reason, it doesn't matter what age somebody is, you can teach them those things. And so that might be more useful than just a simple yes or no, because with a yes or no, you're still going to have to ask more questions in order to ascertain what's what's your next move or how successful was that exercise for you. So if you say to a student, um, uh, you know, did that feel comfortable? They might say no. Well, now you need to still find out, okay, where was it uncomfortable? Was it uncomfortable emotionally? Was it uncomfortable physically? Was it uncomfortable in the way that something's uncomfortable because you've never done it like that before? Or is it uncomfortable because you've overdone something and now we've got some kind of tension? So you're always going to have to explore further. And so in many ways, I suppose my long answer to this would be there's actually probably nowhere that a simple closed question is relevant. There are always different ways of asking questions which can help that student also become much more self-aware in terms of what's required, you know, vocal fold closure, larynx not going up or staying or going too low, um, not too much air, not enough air, you know, all of that sort of stuff will then result in having a clear, strong, consistent tone throughout your range, your vocal folds, staying consistent larynx consistent through the transition so that we're not getting a flip or a crack or a break or whatever it is or going out of tune and so that to me is far more useful way of questioning than just a simple closed question but it takes practice as well yeah for sure other than the grade scales how else would you encourage us to question deeper in a sense that, uh, for, for example, in, in my experience, some singers will respond to an open question with good, better, and nothing much else comes along with that. For example, recently I said to a singer, tell me about your practice this week. And their answer was good. Maybe the next question would be, how do you define good? Tell me more about what that looks like when your practice is good. And the other thing, of course, is initially explaining what makes good practice 
so defining what is a good deliberate practice. So in the course, we talk about deliberate practice being a really good model for helping a student understand what practice is. Because I think, well, certainly I got told all the time you need to practice more, but no one told me how to. So I'd just practice and practice, but then I'd get it wrong because I was practicing incorrectly or I was practicing something and not correcting myself because I didn't know what I was supposed to be listening for and or how to change it. And I've always felt that part of our role as teachers is to become redundant and to help the student become their own best teacher. And that the teacher then maybe you pop in and get, you know, checked in periodically you check in just to make sure you're staying on track or if something you know happens or changes now you've got your teacher to go back to to um you know to figure out what's going on and and find new strategies to help you but for me if a student can come away and understand oh if this happens i've got these options let's try out you know try and see which one works in this instance or even more specifically when that happens if i do x1 x then i will get the result i want so in order to do that though we have to help the student understand what it is that is expected in terms of the physiology and the sound uh, the resulting sound um, and the various strategies that you might use to get a sound out at pitch sing and that and then you know on all the artistic aspect of it as well so quite a lot of my questioning is around i will ask i suppose sometimes leading questions uh where i'll say what did you notice if your vocal folds were closing more or not um so that they start to focus in on their vocal folds or did you notice if there was any tension in your throat because sometimes um students aren't even tuning into any of that. And of course, the other thing is very important to think about how some people learn more visually, some more auditorily, some kinesthetically, some like to write it down and read about it, you know, or um, or watch, you know, a video um, on it, you know, so there's lots of different ways of a student learning and part of our role as the teacher is to find out what that is. And this is what student center learning is is actually taking that individual's preferences and communicating in a way that they understand, but also developing the other ways of learning as well. So if someone's much more auditory, there's no reason why we can't help encourage them to learn how to um, absorb something from a visual point of view or from a kinesthetic point of view. You know, I think it's good to have all of those senses um, developed because sometimes like i was thinking particularly a friend of mine she was telling me how she had a disastrous gig because the it was a pa so basically that means you go in and you sing so she had a hit song and she went on stage it was late at night it was very noisy lots of very drunken people was at a nightclub and the the pa started playing and she didn't have any in-ears and the sound was too far away from her and she couldn't pitch herself so what's another way that you know she could have potentially figured out how to pitch herself and it might have been more kinesthetic um so but she hadn't really developed that necessarily you know um so there are some people that might 
just feel the sound and that's great and they know exactly what their starting note is but what happens if the key changes for whatever reason now it doesn't feel the same and that's not the right reference so they have to be able to use their ears so part of our role as a teacher is to help open up all the senses so that the the singer has you know the advantage of accessing different um, stimuli in order to help them sing in a balanced way how do questions apply in the very short lessons? So peripatetic teachers might be on like a 20 minute time frame compared to the hour long where we have a little bit more time to explore what we're feeling, hearing and all of those senses that you just mentioned. What would you say there? I think just it's about expectation. You cannot ask and go into the depth um, in a 20 minute lesson that you can in an hour. So maybe just have one focus for that day. Like you, if you, especially if you already know the student, you might say, today I'm just going to focus more on this aspect of the technique or on this strategy or this tool or this concept. And 20 minutes is enough for one concept, for sure. Uh, and then make them aware that the next time we're going to focus on a different one, but they need to still be practicing this approach. Yeah, so I think it's more about your expectations of what the lesson's going to be. Um, you can still, you know, five minutes is still enough to get a lot of understanding of where somebody's at and whether they understand something. And then you've still got 15 minutes to do the exercises around addressing whatever that issue is. Um, and it also depends on the age as well, of course. Um, it might be that for those kind of classes, especially if you're working with younger people, that actually that aspect is not as important as it is to get them to enjoy singing and find something, you know, that they can connect to in order to express themselves emotionally or to express themselves creatively. Um, and it's definitely challenging, definitely challenging. But I think it's just about altering your expectations to how much you can do in that time. What are some other ways that we can ensure we're being student led? One of the things that a lot of people don't consider is what's going on with the student, like in their general life. And it's not that our role is to be, um, you know, the counsellor or anything, but it's also just to be aware that there are things going on outside of the student, the, the, the lesson, that may have nothing to do with what's going on in the lesson, but may have everything to do with why they're not singing so well or why they're not focused or why they're more emotional um or maybe you know more distracted so uh i think having an awareness of that and and not being judgmental about it uh being accepting and supportive and even asking you know how can i serve you in this lesson today it seems like you're more distracted you're obviously emotional is there some other way that we could um run this lesson and i've done that in the past where i've actually stopped and said it sounds like you just want to talk about some stuff i'm not here to counsel you or, or, or as therapy but if you want to offload i'm quite happy to you know to listen because if someone's got a lot of tension uh, or if they're crying then singing's going to be very <laughs> challenging um because there's too much tension in the throat area yeah so i think the other thing is about reflection so reflecting on your own teaching. Uh, I often encourage people to record their lessons and listen back in terms of, did I say that in a way that the person understood? Um, did I, 
was, was the sequence of questioning or events or tools, you know, that are used, was that appropriate to what the person wanted right at the beginning? So I encourage people to say, what do you want to focus on today to most students? Might be difficult for younger students, but even then, you know, there'll be days because people are always more on board when they feel like they've got some kind of autonomy. And so I encourage even, you know, when you're working with younger children to say, you know, is there anything you want to work on today? Is there a particular song or is there um, aspect of song or anything you like to do, you know, different kinds of exercises so that you might start off like that. And then that leads you off into doing the things that, you know, the singer needs. But in the beginning, the person feels like they've been listened to. So being able to reflect back on your own lessons and also encouraging the student to be able to reflect as well. So, I, you know, when they listen back, do they feel as though they've really understood physically and vocally what needs to happen? Um, is that really what they wanted in the first place? And, and then the, you know, the grading idea as well. Um, another one is to to get the student to paraphrase what you've said, because sometimes you think that you're very clear. <laughs> and then when they paraphrase, you go, oh, okay, I was talking about the larynx and they're talking about the vocal folds, so some clarity needs to be made here. And if they get it correct, obviously that's another way of just reinforcing that concept because they're verbalising it. Um, also, you know, at the end of the class, quite often I'll ask people, you know, what worked for you in this lesson? What what came out of, of this lesson that you really resonated with or connected with or was a little aha moment for you? Um, because that might be a clue as to where they're at and what they want to focus on, and that might help you with your your future lessons. Goal setting is another thing. So if you're goal setting um, with the student together, helping them understand how to set goals and then encouraging them to set their own goals. That will also ensure that there's motivation because you're connecting with what they want, what their goals are. And it might be a simple thing of, I want to be able to sing, uh, you know, for my grandmother's birthday, or like I had, you know, one, one singer who came in and said he wanted to, well, he wasn't a singer, he was a non-singer. He wanted to be able to sing at Christmas um, in church without his sister telling him to shut up. <laughs> um, of course, sometimes singers come in and they have much um, more ambitious ideas. You know, they want to audition for a performing arts school or they want to audition for a part in the, you know, on, a, on the stage or get in, you know, get a, a deal, you know, I work with a lot of contemporary singers who their goal is to get signed up in some form, though maybe that's not as much as it, strong as it used to be. Um, yeah, so when you know what their goals are, you're more likely to be teaching a lesson that's focused on what their needs and desires are. How does the lesson plan come into play then? If we are needing to be student-led and we can't always guarantee what they're going to come in and say. We can reflect on the lesson previously and maybe have an idea of where we would go. But how how can we plan ahead in a way that is also student-led for them? Yeah, there's something I came across recently through my coaching um, training, and that is setting up an agreement. And I think agreements can be as simple or complex um, as needed. The idea is that both you as the teacher and the student come into the lesson with an agreed 
idea of where it might take them on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. So if your student says to you, oh, I don't want to work on that, I want to work on this, and you guys have made an agreement that uh, you're going to give them the exercises they need in order to get more balance, say say they decide in a lesson, oh, I just want to work on belt, and they haven't actually managed, you know, to navigate their transition in a balanced way yet, coordinate between the TA and the CT and find that, you know, even balance. And you know that if they start working on belt right now, it's going to tip the scales in the wrong direction. So when you've made an agreement, which is, this is what the student wants to work on, and they've agreed that you're going to give them the kind of exercises and lessons and tools and strategies that will help them to build that into their voice, then you can always go back and say, well, remember when we made this agreement, um, unfortunately right now, because the coordination between your lower end or your chest voice and your head voice aren't quite there yet, if I was to start working on belt, it might actually take you backwards to before when you first, you know, came in. And so now with the, the student can go, oh, yeah, that's true. That's what I wanted. And then the other thing I'll, I might do is to say, it doesn't mean we're never going to do it. Um, and if you work on your voice and developing this coordination and building in, you know, the, the muscle structure to do this, then the sooner you do that, the more, the quicker we can get into the belt. So you're not saying you're never going to do it, but you're explaining why we're not. And so having an agreement um, can really mitigate any kind of disagreement or arguments or disappointments. Um, So that could be one way. Uh, And it might also be worth asking, you know, is there a particular reason? Because they may not have told you that they're going to an audition the next week they're going to have to belt a song and so then when you understand that you can start having a conversation around what what's realistic you know um in that moment and so you might turn that into an experiential thing of like okay so if you go into the we're not going to be able to develop belt between now and next week because of these reasons but i think it's really important for you to do the audition in order to experience what it's like to go and do an audition because the more auditions you do the more practice you get the more experience the more familiar it becomes and so that might help to mitigate any potential disappointments or lack you know or um or expectations that you know weren't fulfilled what would your advice be to the coach who is in this particular scenario so for example they're working with a client who they're, they're, they're leading with open questions and encouraging self-analysis, but the client responds with, hey, can you just tell me what I should be doing and what I should be feeling or hearing and what you think? So are we being student-led to respond in such a way that they're asking, or would you encourage us to continue going down the path of bringing it back around to them and their experience? Probably initially, you want to go with the way that they want to learn if you want to keep them on board, because obviously, if you persist with not teaching them in that way, you potentially can lose them. And maybe it's just a gentle easing them in, you know, just exploring some ideas 
as they grow more confident because quite often people who demand that kind of teaching just lack confidence in their own ability they would rather someone else takes that responsibility and i've definitely had students like that who have said i don't want to know about all the whys and what falls and i don't you know just tell me what to do and give me the exercise to build my voice and there are times when that might be appropriate so like if I'm working with an artist, particularly, who's got to get their voice ready for a particular thing, I don't have the luxury of months and months of working with them. So actually, maybe that is my job just to go in and get their voice to a place where that they can repeat that themselves without necessarily knowing the how and why and what for or being reflective or anything. Uh, so there's definitely been times when I've worked in that way with somebody. If it's someone more long term, then I might just in the back of my mind just think, okay, I'm going to take a little time over this and get their um, trust built up and then start to gently bring in some of these more reflective questions and ideas and, and encourage them to experiment and try it out. The other thing is you could also teach um, in a way where you're thinking out loud as you teach. So they're hearing what your thought processes are, and then they might go, oh, that's interesting. So she's taking this approach because of that, and and they start to learn what it is that you're doing. Um, you're not asking them any questions. You're just telling them what your thought processes are. Um, and then later down the track, they've got more of a reference point. I think that's the other thing is that when people don't have a reference point, they don't want to be put on the spot and ask things in case they get it wrong. You know, there's all sorts of beliefs that drive that kind of behaviour or attitude. Um, and so being open to recognising that, that not everybody wants to be taught in a way where they're um, having to do any work. Um, and depending on the situation, that might be the appropriate approach, or it might be that actually you just give it a little bit more time. I'm definitely guilty of this. Um, in some cases, which is not wanting there to be a silence. Um, and I like your, your advice there of thinking out loud, but listening is quite important in the student-led process. And I sometimes find myself doing an exercise or listening to their song and going, what do I need to fix? What's that bit there? And not necessarily allowing there to be a sense of presence totally because I'm too worried about what to do next. So how can you encourage us to be actively listening and not panic so much about two minutes down the line when it's spotlight on you almost to give the answers to the things that they are needing answers to? Mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take a bloody chill pill. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of meditation, working <laughs> on your own limiting beliefs. Yeah, I look, one of the things that I definitely encourage teachers to do, and, and I have to remind myself of that as well, and that is to say less. You could ask questions, but just there's no need. You don't, you don't have to know everything. And um, even if they've just moved, you know, one step from where they were before, that's progress. I think quite often we expect major changes, you know, in one lesson, but actually it takes time, you know, for the voice to develop. And it's unnecessary to put ourselves <laughs> under that kind of pressure. Um, so definitely 
that it might be a case of you have to work on your own beliefs and, you know, why explore why are you feeling like you need to fill in the gaps all the time. So in coaching, I often sit there in silence or I'll ask a question and then I'll say absolutely nothing until the, um, the client has finished. And the re one of the reasons that you do that in coaching is because sometimes people need time to think before they talk. And so if you're jumping in each time, it doesn't give the other person that opportunity to reflect and to consider. And it's similar with students, I think, with singing students, is that you've given them an idea or an exercise or a tool, let them sit with that for a moment, and then you can ask a reflective question. How did that feel? Did that sound right for you? Is there anything more that you need to understand in order to do this again? Know and understand that even though you're the teacher, it doesn't mean that you have to know everything. And quite often what I'll do is if I don't know the answer, I'll say that's a really interesting question I'm going to find out. Thanks for asking because now I'm going to go learn something. I will ask the student to figure out what's the answer. So they'll ask me a question and I might know the answer, I might not. And I'll put it back to them and just say, what do you think's going on? And I'll ask them like, how does it feel? How does it sound? How does it look? To give them, you know, a few triggers, you know, to set them off. Um, not in a negative way, obviously. <laughs> um, but sometimes actually getting the student to find the answer is a really useful way for them to learn something. If you think about yourself when you learnt the most, it was usually when you made mistakes and came back and tried again and then realised something and changed it and did it again, made another mistake. You know, so we have to make sure that we're giving our students that opportunity as well. And if we're constantly in charge of everything, they're not going to be able to get to that place where they can self um, regulate and, and monitor. So pulling on just regular teaching pedagogy, there are other ways that people can learn. Peer learning is one. So having an environment where there's more than one student and they maybe you set up an exercise where they have to teach each other something, uh, especially when you're working with younger students. Also um, collaborative work. So you might encourage them to learn a song together or learn, um, you know, it might be a bit of a musical, a little scene, or it might be songwriting if you're working with more contemporary. So doing collaborative work in groups or in pairs. And then also having an opportunity for discussion. So having an opportunity for discussion. So not always the teacher telling the student, but actually let's talk about this. How does that feel? You know, what are your thoughts? Have you tried this? You know, what happened when? Um, what is it about X that makes you feel and what might you do to change that? And, um, and then also obviously connecting with anything that is interest-based. So making sure that what they're doing is in their, in, you know, something they're interested in and wanting to engage in. Um, so thinking about being more solution-focused, um, asking, you know, what do they understand is going on and how might they suggest it gets dealt with um, and then also making sure that they understand what the criteria are and how that criteria is achieved it's not enough to just say you have to sing on pitch we have to make sure that the student knows 
what has to be done, what tasks, what exercises, what tools need to be engaged in order for that to happen. And it might be physiology, you know, it might be to do with the larynx, making sure it's more stable and not rising. It might be that it's a perceptual thing and the student needs to go away and do ear training exercises. Um, so it's not enough just to say you have to do X, Y, and Z. We need to also be explaining how that happens. Right, so and the last thing would be to have a list of resources for them where they can go and look. So, you know, if you're wanting to develop a particular vocal style, is there a list of singers that they can go and listen to? And then you sit down and figure out, well, what are the vocal qualities? What are the stylistic nuances um, that make it that genre? Um, and recognising also that it doesn't have to be, um, things don't have to be taught in order. It doesn't have to be uh, sequential. It can be actually like what's called interleaving, where you might start with this subject and go to that subject and that, you know, not actually do things in a particular order because interleaving helps the brain, you know, makes the brain engage and go, oh, actually now we're on something else. But it actually is a very valid way of learning as well. Um, it doesn't have to always be blocked, you know, in this is the chronological order. Yeah, though that obviously can be useful. Yeah, so the other thing that I sometimes do is I get the student to teach me. <laughs> and I'll say, so if you were teaching me this concept, how would you do that? Um, and it's the same with uh, when I'm working with uh, student teachers and, and they're saying, oh, I don't know if I'll ever learn the names of the anatomy and, you know, I'll never remember that. And, and I'll say, well, the best way to start remembering these things is to actually start teaching it. So you might do a free class to your students or to a bunch of people that you know um, so that it forces you to go and put that workshop together and find out the information and then start to recall the um, anatomical parts. That's how I learned the anatomy and physiology of the voice because I didn't know. I knew the larynx and that was and the vocal folds and that was about it. I didn't know all the muscles. I didn't know the nerves. You know, I didn't understand the functional aspect. But when I started teaching it, those things started to become ingrained and, and then after, now I you know, know all of that stuff automatically. So teaching it to someone else can really help reinforce knowledge. It's also that teaching it to an inanimate object. If you have a bunch of cuddly toys hanging around the house, which I, I don't. Ah, yes, of course I do. Um, <laughs> just setting them up. It's like the rubber duck theory, which I think comes from like an IT idea where something is confusing you can't think through um, a, a code or something and to explain it to the inanimate object who can't respond makes you really go through it and be detailed and you know you're not going to be interrupted by William Bear who is <laughs> <laughs> the name of my precious childhood toy <laughs> yes and I I mean I do that as well um, not necessary to anything in particular but I'll just say it out loud the other thing that i will do when i'm learning new concept is i'll just um get up a white sheet and i'll just brainstorm the things that i do remember and the connections that i've made and then i'll go back and read some more and then i'll write more and so i start to figure out what the connections are because this is how we learn is through scaffolding so we'll have um, a piece of information that we already know and then we'll get a new piece of information. And if we can attach it to something we already know, then we're more likely to move that into long-term memory. 
So that's an important part of learning as well. So making sure that you're connecting new concepts to concepts that are already there and helping the, the student join the dots. So for instance, if you're trying to teach some a student the concept of the larynx going up and down, most of us don't know that that's what our larynx does, even though we do it thousands of times a day when we swallow, cough, talk, etc. And so you say, okay, put your hand here, notice that there's some lumps, identify what those lumps are, swallow, you already know how to swallow, yawn, you already know how to yawn. And now notice that those lumps go in different directions. And now we've got this concept of larynx going up, going down, because we connected them to things that they already know, which is yawning and, and swallowing. So that's another important thing is to, you know, to connect what you already know to the new concept. Thank you, Lynn. As always, it's such a pleasure to hear your thoughts and to learn from you. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you again on the next one. Thank you very much. And uh, yes, I hope everybody's having a great teaching week and uh, look forward to hearing more questions from you because uh, we'll probably do another uh, Ask Me Anything. And if you have any more questions about student-centered learning, then by all means, uh, throw it over to us. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.